We will be looking at events that have been, that will be, and so I'm not going to try to put a time frame on these events because these chapters speak of events that will happen in the second half of the second three and a half year period, events that happened in the first three and a half year period, and events that have been going on for a long, long time. One of the problems with interpreting the book is that we've looked at it as a time frame of events, but remember, this is not the reason it was given. We're told the reason it was given in the very first chapter. It was given to give hope and to be a blessing to those who read it. Well, what we get in chapter 13 is difficult because it's a description of the adversary of God. And it will help us to know that the adversary of God is not a creator. He doesn't create anything. He's a perverter. And he's envious of God. He does everything that God does, but it's perverted. Or it's the opposite of what God would do. God gave life to men, and he took life away from men. God gave eternal life to men. And he's responsible for putting men into death eternally. God sends Elijah before the Messiah. The adversary of God sends a false messiah and also one like Elijah who prepares the way for him as well. He does everything that God does, but it's perverted. With that in mind, let's go to chapter 13 and we're going to be looking at the adversary of God. Something I'm going to bring out as we look at the adversary is again, remember, he's not a creator, he's a perverter. Chapter 13. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Now remember, I pointed out that the adversary of God wants everything that God has. He even wants the same praise. And we see it here as almost the exact praise that God gets. You know, the phrase, Who is like the beast? is a copy of the Song of Moses. The people of God will sing after the victory of God, Micha mocha ba'elim Adonai, who is like you, O Lord. And we sing it in our services each week. And here's the problem. We try to identify the beast and when he's going to come. And futurists, one of the ways of interpreting the book of Revelation, would say that this is the revived Roman Empire and the ten horns are the European Union. Historicists' view of Revelation would say that this is Satan and his power has been through the age, but it peaks in the 42nd months of the birth pains. And I'm kind of inclined to agree somewhat with that. Well, what we are reading here is much the same as we would read in the book of Daniel about the beast. We find Daniel speaks much the same about the beast, but because of time, I'm not going to look at the book of Daniel. If you have time this week, you can compare chapter 13 here of Revelation with chapter 7 of Daniel, and you'll find that the beasts are much the same. The dragon is Leviathan, the twisted, crooked serpent, the serpent of the garden, and he has other names, behemoth, a creature that rules the earth. Leviathan caused the fall of man. He's one that 
was in the garden. And shortly after that, we have another fellow spoken of, and that is a demon. He's called Azazel. And I want to read quickly about Azazel. At the end of days, Azazel is going to be judged, and he will be judged in the same way as Leviathan. In fact, they're probably one and the same. So this is from the Jewish Encyclopedia. Azazel is represented in the book of Enoch as the leader of a rebellious giants in the time preceding the flood. He taught men the art of warfare, of making swords, knives, shields, coats of mail, and women the arts of deception by ornamenting the body, dyeing the hair, and painting the face and the eyebrows. And also revealed to the people the secrets of witchcraft and corrupted their manners, leading them into wickedness and impurity, until at last he was at the Lord's command, bound hand and foot by the archangel Raphael and chained to rough and jagged rocks of Hadudwell, where he is to abide in utter darkness until the great day of judgment when he will be cast into the fire and consumed forever. Now, when we're speaking of Azazel, you would think that he's just a tradition here in the book of Enoch, but you should know that Azazel also comes up in scriptures. Yom Kippur is a shadow of the final judgment on the earth. And if we look at the festival of Yom Kippur in chapter 16, it describes a goat that is led into the wilderness. And the goat is the goat for Azazel. And we translate it scapegoat, but it's actually a name. We can see the final judgment of what happens to Azazel. And I put an illustration up here for you. He's taken out into the wilderness to a high cliff and he's pushed off backwards and dashed to pieces against the jagged rocks and becomes food for the birds of the air. And if you remember, we read a few weeks back, much the same fate for Leviathan or the adversary of God. He's thrown into a field and becomes food for the birds of the air. But what I want to get across to you is Azazel is one of his titles. And when we look at the festivals of the Lord, we're going to look at this much more closely. But he has other names. He's also Belial. In our Messianic writings, there's one called the Lawless One. He, like Yeshua, has many titles, but the adversary of God is single-minded in his purpose, and that is to replace God and destroy the people of God. The reason is Satan or Leviathan wants to be God and everything that God does, he copies. He cannot create, but he can pervert. He copies God. God has an offspring. He's the Messiah. And Messiah has been in the world interacting with men since the very beginning. He's the torch that passed through the halves for Abraham. He is the angel that wrestled with Jacob. Paul tells us that he traveled with Israel in the wilderness. He was a rock that traveled with Israel. And we can find him interacting with men all throughout the Bible. Then he comes, and he does the will of the Father. In fact, we're told that if you see Messiah, you have seen the Father. In other words, Yeshua is the exact personification of the Father. Well, Leviathan has a Messiah as well, the false Messiah. And he is the exact representation of Leviathan. He is the personification of Satan. He too has been in the world almost from the very beginning, interacting with men. Remember, we spoke about the horses that rode out, the white horse. We see a shadow of him in men like Amalek. 
we see a shadow of him and he's spoken of as Pharaoh. More modern representations, we just went through Purim. A good example of him would be Haman, Hitler, and others. You know, you say to yourself, when you see a man who's doing things that are so evil, and you say to yourself, how could a man do these things, things that are that evil, killing six million people, Jewish people? And the truth is, no, man is not that evil, but the adversary of God is that evil, and he inhabits these men. An example, we all know Adolf Hitler. If you look at him, you can't help but think, how can anyone be that evil to burn six million Jewish people? And again, I can tell you that man alone is not that evil. So when you see a man that evil, you know that there's another that's in control of that man. So the point being, the adversary perverts what God does. He wants to replace God in the lives of God's creation. And the thing that makes the beast so hard to identify is that they have been in the world since the fall of man. Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise his authority for 42 months. And so when we read this, you know, it's natural for us to try and identify the beast. It's nearly impossible, though, because he's been in the world. If we lived in World War II, we would have certainly thought that he was Adolf Hitler. If we lived in Cambodia in the 70s, we would have thought he was Pol Pot. However, if we lived in the time of the disciples, we would have thought he was Nero or Titus. Revelation in its portrayal of the false messiah goes farther than all the other writings. Let's look at Nero for a moment. In the year 64, on a hot July night, a fire broke out in Rome, and it lasted for nine days, and it burned a very large part of Rome, leaving many dead and homeless. While Nero, he blamed a new Jewish sect called by others Christians. And the Christians were noted for spreading their religion. They were proselytizers. This persecution by Nero shows the Roman attitude toward Christians in the first century. They were not highly thought of. And so in his response to this fire, Nero was the first emperor to persecute Christians. He burned hundreds of Christians alive and butchered others in various ways. Now the thing of it is, Nero died in 68 AD. But the following rulers were so vicious that it was really thought of that he was still alive or that he would actually return. And so this was so pervasive in Christian thinking that I'm going to read something from Keener's book on Revelation. He says, The tradition that Nero would come back as the final Antichrist became so pervasive that in the Aramean language, Nero actually became the equivalent of the Antichrist. And so ask yourself, did Nero return? Of course not. But the beast were speaking of return. He came around in 70 AD, destroyed the temple through Titus, dispersing Israel off the land in 135 common era and the subsequent naming of the land Syria, Palestina. And so the point I'm trying to make is that we're reading of a beast and each generation would think that beast had come. And in essence, he did by controlling men to do his bidding and his efforts to control the earth. And so the false messiah is given power to exercise his authority for 42 months. And again, this period would be that second period of 42 months. Well, as we said, the false messiah has been in the world since the fall. 
He's been teaching men to make war, teaching immorality, all the things that we saw the horsemen do that were sent out. He comes in the flesh, it would seem, and he's given real authority for this last 42 months. From the time he slays the prophets and sets up an abomination in the temple. And verse 6 says, He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. And so he's been doing this really since the very beginning. He slandered God in the garden. And he'll do it again. And we see a shadow of this fellow. And actually another shadow of this fellow in Antiochus Epiphanes. He did the very things we're going to speak of him. And we'll talk about him a little bit later as he comes up again. Verse 7 says, He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Now, we have a verse here that seems to contradict what I've been teaching here, that during the tribulation, during this period that we call the tribulation, the people of God are going to be safe, live in safety. And that beast here, we're told, is going to make war against the saints and conquer them. And when we read war, we naturally think of him with an army killing the saints. But there's another kind of war. There's spiritual war. A war for the minds and the hearts of the people. And so hold on to that thought because that's the kind of war we're talking about here. And that's the way he's going to conquer. We'll address this a little bit later, but right now we need to determine is this referring to physical war or spiritual war and what is meant by conquer? As we move on today, we're going to get a better idea. Verse 8. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone goes into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the parts of the saints. And so here's what happens. After he kills the two prophets, remember we talked about that last night, the world is going to see him as a hero. And it's because these prophets have been trouble for the world, calling down plague after plague. And when he slays the prophets, he's going to be a hero to the world. He declares himself to be God. He sets up an abomination in the holy place. Israel, who has come to know the Messiah at this time, will recognize this false Messiah, refuse to worship him, and flee, as we talked about last week, to a place prepared for them. And then in verse 11, I says, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Who is this beast that's going to look like a lamb? Well, most feel that, and I do too, that he is the false prophet. Remember, the adversary copies God, and if Messiah had a prophet come and prepare his way, then the false Messiah will have one as well to prepare his way. He's going to be a religious leader. He's going to be a Christian, I'm afraid. And that is why he looks like a lamb with horns. Horns represent power. And so he's going to be a powerful religious leader from Christianity. But it says that he will speak like a dragon. In other words, he's going to be like the evil one. He's going to speak lies. Verse 12. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed, and he performed great miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in the full view of man. And notice who he copies here. 
It was Elijah who called on fire that burned the offerings, defeating the prophets of Baal. This false messiah is the prophet, and of course he will resemble a perverted Elijah. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on his right hand and on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Okay, so what we are seeing here is the authority, he will be not only a religious authority, but also he will be an authority of a civil nature as well. And we have examples of this throughout history. Whenever the church gained control of a government, like in the Middle Ages, they ruled both civil and religiously. When a civil government begins to exercise control over the church, like we see in Russia, the same thing. This will be a powerful religious leader capable of influencing millions of people and he's doing signs and wonders to convince the world that he is the prophet just as Elijah had come to prepare the way for Messiah so too does this beast come uh, appearing to be Elijah and he prepares the way for the false Messiah. So listen, I want to say something here. This is going to be a very good deception. This is something that's going to deceive all but the very elect and I'm afraid that those two are going to deceive much of what we call Christianity. They're going to be deceived into worshiping the beast. And this is going to be a deception like none the world has ever seen. It's going to draw a line in the sand just as Moses drew a line in the sand asking, who will you serve? Now, I know some of you might come from another church, maybe not tonight, I don't know, but some of you might come to another church. And I want to say at the onset, of the next section of this study tonight. I'm going to be speaking of the church. And well, understand that I'm not condemning your church. I know nothing about your church, but I'm going to be speaking of the early church. And I'm going to be speaking of the Catholic church and all the churches that are being compromised by the adversary of God as an example of a compromised church. If you drive down here on Cedar Lake Road, there's a church with a rainbow sign out front saying all are welcomed here. They have been compromised by the world. So again, much of the church is going to be deceived, but please forgive me at the onset as I cannot explain the beast without looking at his influence on the world. So how are they going to be deceived? Well, sadly, they've already been deceived in part. Most of Christianity doesn't have a clue of who the true Messiah really is because we've shaped and molded him into our image, our likeness. We've been shaping and molding that image for 2,000 years to the point that if Messiah actually walked up to many people, they would not know him. If he walked into that church down the street, he'd be looking like a Jew and they'd wonder, what's this Jew doing in here? However, if the false Messiah did the same thing, 
they would be deceived. Let me explain why. First, let's look at the number 666. Remember our mark of God. What was the mark we talked about that was symbolic for the name of God? It was the sheen. And I put one up here for you. You find it on mezuzahs, on the doorposts. You find it on the phylacteries that are strapped on the hands and foreheads when our Jewish people pray because it's symbolic for the name of God. Okay? Well, the Hebrews use letters for numbers. And the Hebrew letter for six is the vav. And the number six in Hebrew is also the number of man. And if we take three of those and slide them together, see I put the vav there, and then I put three vavs and I slid them together, and what do they look like? An upside down sheen, right? Remember, the adversary is not a creator, he's a perverter. It's the number of man and he wants to replace God. Well, the mark of the beast is going to be very much like that. It will be so deceptive that the people will be thinking that they're taking on the name of God and they're going to be receiving the mark of the beast instead. It's the number of man and of the beast. And you see, there's nothing new under the sun. From the time of Adam forward, we have had the same theme. It was in the garden and it's been played out over and over. Look at Adam. I want to look at the deception. Think about Adam if you want to think about this deception. He was ruler of the earth. God gave him rule over the earth. He was the servant of God most high, a glorified man, a child of God. He walked with God in the garden. In comes the serpent, Leviathan. He says to Adam, Chava, eat of the tree because when you eat of it, you will be like God knowing good and evil. And when he obeys, he gives his rule to Leviathan. You see, the crux of the matter is that you have to serve somebody. There was a good Jewish boy who came to faith in Messiah Yeshua maybe about 30 years ago. His name was Bob Dylan or Bob Zimmerman. And he wrote a song. And the song went something like this. You're going to have to serve somebody. Now it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And those words are absolutely true. And this has always been the case. There's nothing new under the sun was written by Solomon at the end of his life and it must have been a bitter pill for him to look back and see that for much of his life he served someone other than God. And yes, I know that he repented. But the ticket is this. It's a choice that we make in our lives every day. Who will we serve? It's a choice we make each and every day and with each and every choice we make, we serve God or will we serve the beast? It's not important to understand if the beast is the Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire. People are watching for what they think is the revived Roman Empire. And they use this as a guide to when everything is going to begin. But you know something? We already have a gauge of when it's going to begin. And it's not the revised Roman Empire. What you want to watch is keep your eye on Israel. It's the barometer for what God is doing in the world. This evil that arises is worldwide. And we're seeing it in our country today. What is good is called evil, and what is evil is called good. And it's taken a hold of the leaders of our country. It's in our schools, and this is just the beginning. And what we are talking about here is the manifestation of the evil one in the world. And let me also say, it doesn't have to look the same. In our country, it may look entirely different than in China. Okay? 
he has control of China. He has control of Russia, Iran, and most of the nations. In China, we see it as inhumanity to men and a desire to rule the world. In Iran, it's a desire to spread Islam. And in this country, it's moral decay. But let me tell you that it's all the work of the beast. Those countries already worship the beast in what they do. And let me tell you what is important. What is important is that we understand that everything we do gives either power to the beast or to the lamb. And when we, by our lives, obey the adversary, we give him power. And when we, by our lives, obey God, then we kadush Hashem, which means we sanctify his name and give him power in the world. Okay, so let me say, when we talk about doing the will of the beast, it also means doing nothing to purge out evil from our midst, which is what the church has done for the last, I don't know how many years. And this evil is taking over our country. And sometimes, you know, the choice isn't clearly defined, but when it comes to everyday decisions, it's not always clear for us, and that's why we have to be people of prayer. But when the power of the beast culminates in the earth, choices are going to be clear, and I'm afraid the reward will be equally clear. You know, there's two banquets spoken of in the scriptures. There's the banquet for the bride of Messiah, and there's also the banquet of Leviathan spoken of in the scriptures. At one, you're sitting with Messiah, eating dinner with Messiah. At the other one, you're the food. You're Leviathan, food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the decision is going to be who you made Lord of your life and who did you serve. That's the banquet you're going to. Now here's the deal. How are the elect going to keep from being deceived? And this is important. And this is where the message gets a little harder. Because this deception is going to be very good. The prophet is going to deceive many. The false messiah is going to be good. He's going to deceive many. And the reason it is going to deceive many is the deception really began long ago. So long ago that it looks like truth now. If you don't think this deception is going to be good, again, I want you to think about the serpent, how he deceived Adam and Chava. Adam was a glorified man, a man who walked with God, who ruled the earth with the power of God and the glory of God. And yet he was deceived by the adversary. And so this deception is going to be good and it's going to deceive a lot of people as well. And how are we going to know this false prophet and thereby be deceived? Well, we find the answer in the Torah. You see, Israel receives a warning about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you miraculous sign or wonder, and if that sign or wonder which he has spoken of takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. So the false prophet is going to do miracles. We spoke about that. People will worship him. And verse 4 says, it is the Lord your God you must follow. And him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he preached rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who redeemed you from the land of slavery. He has tried to turn you from the way of the Lord your God commanded you. You must purge evil from among you. 
Okay, let's look at something. This is, shouldn't be new to anybody. We were a Christian nation. And I say we're because I can tell you we're not any longer. If we look at the other religion and combine them with those who say they have no God or worship themselves, atheists, the sexual immoral, the greedy, we're fast becoming outnumbered. And the reason is we failed to purge evil from among us. The problem is you have to know the word of God. You have to follow God and notice that it said, keep his commandments and obey him, serve him, hold fast to him. Where do we find the commands of God? In the Torah, in what we call the law, in the Torah. And I want you to keep that in mind as we continue. Look back in history to the first century church. And I mean, folks, that first century church was awesome in its power. Read Acts and you're going to walk away in dismay when you compare it to the church today. It will make you sad. It will make you mad. It will make you start on a quest to try and restore that congregation. But what happened is the false messiah made war against that congregation on every front. Most importantly, it was a spiritual war against those congregations to replace the truth with the lie. And what was the very first thing that happened that he removed from that first century congregation? Well, I'll explain it to you. Right after the first century and the last of the apostles were gone, a religious leader named Marcion comes onto the scene and he starts teaching that Yeshua, the good God, came and more or less defeated and did away with the evil God of the Old Testament. The one Yeshua called Father. Well, his teaching was that the only writings that you need to pay attention to were the writings of Paul. And Marcion also revised the Gospel of Luke. Bad news, right? Well, the good news was that the early church recognized Marcion and he recognized that he was a heretic and they declared him to be a heretic. The bad news was the movement that he started became second only in numbers to the original church. And eventually his teaching filtered into the church and it's alive and well today in the church. Let me explain why I say that. If I go to someone and I say, look, I've read the scriptures and it says we are to keep the seventh day Sabbath. I say, look at the book of Exodus. It was given as part of your redemption. In chapter 20, look at Leviticus chapter 23, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we could go on with references. And then I said, look at the Gospels. Yeshua kept the Sabbath. And finally, I say, let's go to Isaiah and look at chapter 66. And it says this, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure. From one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Do you know what the answer is going to be after I go through all of this with him and more? They're going to say, well, but didn't Paul say this? You see, it doesn't matter how many verses you show them in Scripture. If they can find one verse in Paul's writing that seems to contradict the whole of the rest of Scripture, they'll follow that verse. Even if you show them they're wrong in their interpretation of that verse, they still aren't moved. And I know because I've done this over and over through my ministry. Well, friends, that's the spirit of Marcion. He's still in the church. The spirit is telling us that we only need to listen to Paul. The law is no more. The festivals are no more. The Sabbath is no more. If you study early church, you're going to find out that the Sabbath and the festivals of the Lord, like Passover, 
were forbidden to be kept, not by Yeshua or the disciples. They kept all those things. Not even the first century church. But it wasn't until the fourth century when Emperor Constantine made keeping anything that they considered Jewish, like the Sabbath or the festivals, by those in the church punishable by death. So understand that the only way you're going to know this fellow is the false Messiah is if you compare what he has to say with what the Torah has to say. And sadly, we in much of the church have paid little attention to God's law because, as Paul said, as we think Paul said anyway, Yeshua came and did away with that. The adversary defeated most of Christianity 1900 years ago when he took the Torah away from us. And what did he give us in return? Well, years ago, here's a funny story for you. Years ago, I went to a Catholic church for a funeral. And I was amazed when I went into this. They had an ark in front of the church. An ark. It wasn't quite as big as that one. And I was amazed that if you took the statues out of that Catholic church, it would look a lot like a synagogue. But here's the problem. If you look in the Ark on Arbima, we'll look at it every Shabbat, what are you going to see in there? Torah scrolls, as you would have in any synagogue today, but not in that church. What you found in that church when they opened it up was bread and wine. We replaced the word of God with bread and wine. Not only that, as I said, there was a statue of Jesus hanging on a cross. But the Torah says, make no graven images. The adversary also gave us pictures of Jesus. Look at what we've done with pictures of Jesus. This is a picture from an article years ago. I think it was in Look or Life magazine. I don't remember which. And it was called The Many Faces of Jesus. And I want you to notice we have an African Jesus. There's a Swedish Jesus up there. There's an American Indian Jesus. We even have a female Jesus. And while it's not up there because the slide was slightly damaged years ago, the bottom part of it, there was also our favorite picture of Jesus, the European Jesus up there, which I might add, and we're going to see in a minute, looks a lot like Antiochus Epiphanes, and I'll show you that in a moment. Do you see what we've done? God forgive us, but we've replaced sound teaching of God with myth, statues, and pictures of Jesus. And if that were not bad enough, not one of these pictures are Yeshua the Messiah. And if they're not the true Messiah then we should understand that they are what? False messiahs. You see, what we've done is we made Yeshua in our image. And that's why you see all these fashioned after each nation. You see, anciently, they made statues, like their god, Zeus. Well, there is no Zeus. And so if you're going to make a statue of Zeus, what are you going to make him look like? What does he look like? You don't know because there is no Zeus, right? So to solve the problem, they would make the statue of Zeus look like a man. Most of the time, the man they used to pose for the statue would be the ruler at the time. And that, I mean, he'd be flattered. He probably thought of himself as God anyway. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. And you see, while the church is trying to label the beast and the false prophet, and while they're watching the revised Roman Empire, and they're watching the Pope and other things, trying to figure out timelines for the book of revelation the false messiah is getting ready to deceive us all and sadly most aren't even going to see it coming because they don't know what they're looking for the torah which was taken from the church 
is the revelation of the Messiah. He told us, lo, in the volume of the scroll it is written of me. He told us, Moses wrote about me. John told us he was the word made flesh. And the church has paid little attention to the Torah. We need to be restoring our understanding of the commands of God and the Torah so that we're going to recognize these two and the deception because the deception is going to be great. You see, starting 2,000 years ago, Satan started to deceive the church and he did it by fashioning an image of a man and I'm afraid the man is the one we see in pictures and we see on crucifixes. We have a shadow of the false messiah. You know, we have a shadow given to us in the scriptures of this false messiah setting up an abomination in the temple. And we see it in the story of Hanukkah. Many of you have heard me speak of it before. Antiochus defeats Israel and he comes into the temple and he stops the daily sacrifice just as Yeshua and Daniel said the false messiah will do at the end of days. He defiles the temple by sacrificing an unclean animal on the altar and he declares himself to be God. You know, his name was Antiochus, but he gave himself the title Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He sets up an abomination in the temple, a statue of Zeus. However, strangely enough, Zeus looks just like Antiochus. And we know what Antiochus looked like from coins. I put up a coin here. That's Antiochus without a beard. The next slide is Antiochus with a beard. And who does that look like? He looks a lot like our European Jesus, doesn't he? God told us to make no images, and he told us that for a reason. They're deceptions. And if you want to know why there is no image of the true Messiah, Yeshua, it's because the disciples and the Jewish people didn't make images. So there is no image. That's the way it should be. But that's not the only deception that came when we started to redefine Yeshua's character. We defined him as Torahless, that he came to do away with the Torah. Many preach that Yeshua came to do away with the law. Well, folks, that's not true. In fact, Paul tells us how to recognize the false Messiah. And it's really simple. Anyone can recognize him. He tells us this. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. And so the false messiah and the false prophet are going to be what? Lawless. And what is the law? The Torah. He's going to be Torahless, one without God's instruction. And I said he'll be easy to recognize. Well, yes, he is going to be easy to recognize if you haven't adopted the false teaching that the Torah is no longer valid and we don't need it. Because if that is where you are at and you have not studied Torah, you're not going to recognize him because you will be as Torahless as he. He will preach, we don't need the law been done away with look at what paul said and that's why i say that it's sad but much of the church has already been deceived they've already believed the messiah is without torah and when the torahless one comes teaching that we don't need god or his law they're going to be deceived many preachers in the world today are preaching torahlessness lawlessness let's read on 
Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And the lawless one will be revealed and whom the Lord Yeshua will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. In every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now you know why this message is so important, why teaching Torah is so important in these last days, this return to Torah movement that we see in Messianic congregations and in, in a lot of the church as well. Because that's how you're going to know the lawless one. Well, I think we're going to end here and next week we'll pick up in chapter 14.